If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me once again today to answer all of your questions in our Week 2 mailbag is my co-host Curtis. And guys, we covered as much as we could in the detail that we'd like to do it on this podcast in our official Arkansas recap episode a couple days ago. But, of course, inevitably, we did not get to touch on everything that we wanted to. So that's where these mailbag episodes during the season come into play. They give us a chance to answer your questions and cover anything from the previous week's game that we may not have gotten a chance to get to in the official recap episode. And any questions peeking ahead to the next week's game, those are always fair game on these mailbag episodes. So if you're new to the show, anytime you've got a question, feel free to send those in to us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can also email them to us at podcast at gmail.com. And with these mailbag episodes, one of the things that's also great about them is that usually by the time that we record these episodes, which is usually Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday evening, I've had a chance to give the game a final, at least for now, a final for now rewatch, because I'll definitely be watching these again as we get into the offseason. But I've given it a final rewatch, so we might have even more insight to offer than we originally did on Sunday in the recap show. So... We always love these mailbag shows. It gives you guys a chance to interact with us, and we want and appreciate every single question that you guys have. And I do want to real quickly apologize if there seems to be any audio issues with this episode or if you notice the audio volume rising or falling or just sounding a little bit different at different points, at least on my end. We shouldn't have any issues on Curtis's end because he still has his same mic set up in his, in his studio. But I'm having a few technical issues today. It's very frustrating, but my normal microphone just randomly decided to not work today when we sat down to record, just randomly. Uh, I spent about an hour troubleshooting it to no avail, so I, uh, I had to resort to a backup mic while I wait on the new one that I just ordered. It should be here in 
what we ordered from Amazon. So it should be here within two business days, right? But hopefully you don't notice any difference at all. That's my hope. But if you do, I wanted you to know that I am aware of it and it is being addressed. This is a short-term thing if there are any issues. But I figured a show with a backup mic was better than no show at all, right? But we're going to roll with it either way. We want to make sure to have this content up for you guys like we promise you that we will each and every week during the season. And we really have a ton of questions to get to today. And some of these are going to warrant a good in-depth discussion. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to it. And here we are. Three days after the first game, and the quarterback position is still the topic where a lot of the conversation around this Georgia team is centered, especially now with the plot twist of JT Daniels' clearance for contact going into the Week 2 matchup against Auburn. So our first several questions, understandably so, deal with different aspects of the quarterback situation. And Alexander, he gets right to it off the bat. No beating around the bush. With our first question of the day, Alexander, we always appreciate it, my friend, asked, with JT Daniels cleared, do you think he'll be our starting quarterback going into Auburn? What does he bring to our team? Curtis, what's your take on that question? Is it clear cut for you? I'm not sure if Kirby's going to start him the first right away. I wouldn't be shocked if he put Stetson out there for a series or two. Uh, I, I think he might keep Stetson out there, honestly, until he gives you a reason to take him out. Now you can't be generous and put your team behind the eight ball if he's struggling. Uh, but I just don't know if he's ready to completely hand it over to JT after the way Stetson came in and just, you know, kind of throw him to the side type mentality or something along those lines. Yeah. I think um, you're but touching here. on to a, go ahead, but touching on what JT brings to the table. Um, he's just a more comfortable and competent passer. Uh, that's the big difference between him. And maybe what you, what you saw at Juwan Mathis last game is just, he comes in there. I'm not saying that he knows the playbook perfectly or things like that, but he's very confident in what he's doing out there. And, you know, we talked about it with Juwan being one of the biggest knocks on him and the, the you know, what helped Stetson so much is Stetson was just confident. He knew what he wanted to do with the ball. He didn't, uh, he wasn't hesitant with it. He just let it rip. And that's something that JT does. JT's going to go out there with his big arm um, and just try to get rid of the ball and put it, you know, put it in the air. And so I think that's the one thing that may, that's what he's going to bring to the table from his perspective, just more comfortable in the passing game. All right. So I think that's a great point. I, I do think he will be more comfortable and confident than Dwan was in his first snaps ever at the college level last week against Arkansas. Cause he's, he started a full year. It's been a minute, but he started a full year. I agree with you there, but here's what I would ask you is, all right, so if he's if that's a, a big aspect of what he brings to the table over Dewan Mathis, that that comfort level, the confidence going in there, having some experience. Well, I, I, I'm not saying that Stetson has the same level of of experience, but I think what we saw on Saturday that was that he had that comfort level, that confidence going into that game. So, what does JT Daniels bring that that Stetson Bennett might not? Uh, well, first off, you know we mentioned it how Stetson's a. Uh accurate passer but nowhere near a big arm and things like that and, and that's one of the definitely the big things of JT Daniels the guy's got a big arm uh can throw the ball downfield I think he's got a lot more zip on his ball I, I don't know if they bring anything really different athletic wise because I think JT moves a little bit better than he's given credit for uh so I think that there's not much difference there but I just think the pure arm talent and maybe uh what he has seen will be different too because one thing too that Stetson brought to the table that Juwan did not was the game just seemed very quick to him. Um, you know, we talked about 
it was a hesitant factor, but just the game speed, everything was moving a little bit too fast. It's kind of what you got. Like he kind of had that deer in the headlights look and JT has started some big games. Um, you know, USC hadn't been at the top of their game since he had been there, but even then they still play some primetime games against good opponents. And he got experience that is very invaluable, especially as you're going into a, a top 10 matchup against Auburn, who's going to bring a lot at you. And you have to, you can't think about it too much. You just have to go with, you know, get rid of the ball and things like that and not take sacks and just be comfortable and not afraid. Yeah. I think you and I are, are, are more or less on, on the same wavelength here when it comes to this quarterback question, like who's going to be the starter in this game against Auburn. I, I think a lot of people, as soon as JT Daniels was cleared, kind of expected, okay, now he's the guy, he's the guy, let's go, let's go. We're ready to roll. And that may be the case. And I'm not, I'm not here to say it's not going to be the case. We don't know. But what, I, what, what I'm here to say on this show is that I'm just not ready to say with any degree of certainty anyway, like whether it's JT or Dwan or Stetson Bennett, like I, I can't I, I can't make a pick with much clarity here at all with a lot of certainty. I guess, you know, I, I think do I think JT Daniels has the best combination of experience and talent of the available options that we have at that position? I think the answer is pretty clearly yes, that he has the best combination of, of experience and talent, but I do still think there are some questions to consider here. Okay, so and Kurt, tell me what you think here. So this is kind of where my mind is on this. All right, so he's been cleared. We find that out Sunday, Sunday night, Monday morning. We find out he's been officially cleared. But what exactly does that mean? Does being cleared for contact mean you are a hundred percent? Does that mean you have all of your mobility back? The mobility you mentioned, which I do think he has underrated mobility, but is he back to be hundred percent with that mobility? Is his confidence in the knee? back to 100%. So yes, he's cleared, but I still have questions about what exactly that clearance means. Because, I mean, Nick Chubb was cleared to play in 2016, but we clearly know that was not the same Nick Chubb we saw pre-injury and that we've seen now a couple years removed from the injury. So is it a similar situation with JT Daniels? Is his mobility going to be compromised to some degree? I think that's something you have to you have to think about here. And also another thing you have to factor in here is he hasn't really been taking a ton of reps with the ones for the past several weeks. Because we obviously, our coaches weren't sure if he was going to be clear. We, we were hoping, but we weren't sure. And if you're not sure, guys, and be clear, then you can't give him the, all the reps with the number ones. He's got to be taking a back seat there, and that's why Mathis was getting all those reps. That's kind of what we were we were talking about a couple weeks ago, and it turns out that seemed to be the case. But I will say, Stetson Bennett didn't get a lot of reps with the ones. Heck, Stetson wasn't really getting a lot of. reps. I was going to say that was going to be my that was going to be my response. Is Stetson came out there with probably zero reps with the number ones. And still came out there and be successful. That's just where, you know, your experience is so invaluable. Absolutely. Uh, And that's why. And I think that's the biggest thing because I'm no knock on Juwan. He's still a young guy, but I don't think he could go from maybe getting second and third team snaps only to all of a sudden being successful with the first team just because of his lack of experience, lack of being comfortable out there. And I think that's where JT doesn't need as much experience or, you know, much as reps and things like that with the first group. Now it does help. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, also, you're talking about how, you know, his percent, I'd say he's pretty close to 100 if I had to give my opinion, because the fact of the matter is during scrimmages, he was able to do almost, you know, you were hearing that he was doing everything but being hit. So it's not like it was stopping him from going out there, throwing the ball and taking snaps and rolling out and doing all the other things that come, you know, come with being a quarterback. Yeah, and I, I don't think that he can't do those things. We know during the summer he was working when they're having voluntary workouts. We know he was he was doing things in practice, doing all the things that quarterbacks were able to do. Kirby even said himself, he was clear to do everything except take contact. So I, it's not that I question, like, can he do it? It's just can he do it to the same level he was doing pre-injury? Is he back to 100% in that regard? Kind of like Nick Chubb. Like, well, yeah, I, I mean, this is, not, this is not a knock on Stetson or Juwan, but even at 80%, JT Daniels is better than 
both of them. You believe that fully? I do, especially Juwan. And I mean, as good as Stetson is, there's certain things that I would just feel more comfortable with JT back there. Yeah, and I don't think that's like I think that's perfectly natural if you look at the, the big picture here. But I, I just yeah, and I'm just trying to I'm trying to think the whole well, thing. And let's be honest through. with quarterback. Well, in quarterbacks too, there's a difference in where running backs they're, they're cutting almost every play. There's a big difference in what they have to do play in play out compared to what a quarterback does. Yeah, that's 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 true. That that is absolutely. You true. see a lot of quarterbacks come. Different. You see a lot of quarterbacks come back quicker from ACL injuries than you do at any other position, in my opinion, because there's just a different requirement well, not, out of them. Yeah. Like running backs, running backs, you're cutting all the time and it's just completely different. And that's why you don't see like running backs. It's hard to rush them back as much as it say is a quarterback. I mean, you see people like Carson Wentz and, you know, pro players like yeah, get there in the pros and things like that, but they're able to come back quicker than any other position. Well, those, those, those quarterbacks are protected. Like you're, you're like if, if nowadays, if you take a, a shot at quarterback below the waist, it's a flag. So they're they're not taking the 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 beating the pounding that that a running back like Nick Chubb was taking when he comes back. So. Well, it, and it doesn't even like you know quarterbacks too when they get pressure a lot of them will just go down and try not to take a hit because that's one of the big things of being a quarterback you don't want to take less hits. And it's I don't care do as a running back. Yeah, and as when you're a running back, it doesn't matter if it's a short run, a long run. Shoot, you could break like a fifty yard run and still get brought down. It's still gonna you're still gonna take some phys- you know some hits. Yeah. True. Very true. Very true. But yeah, I guess I'm, I mean, look, I, I think again, spoiler alert, I think JT is the most talented option overall, but I, I'm just trying to look at the big picture and also play devil's advocate here. Look at some of the questions that might, that might be in, at play here too. Cause another thing I would throw in is I, yeah, he has more experience than any quarterback on the, on the roster right now, but he, he has, he has played exactly one game in the last, actually one half of one game in the last 21 months. So is there going to be a little bit of rust involved? I mean, but you, say, you could say the same thing about Stetson Bennett. Absolutely, this guy hadn't played. I was say much. Stetson played what? Like, I, did he? he played a couple played half, like two series, a couple, half, couple quarters or, last year, a couple halves, and then a couple series here there when Jake was just that bad, and they're trying to do something different. I think we did it with South Carolina where he's playing really bad, and they tried to bring some energy to the team. Um, but so I mean, that's the thing too is that no one on the roster really has had that much game experience. So I don't, I think that's really a toss up. And if you have to go off of any game experience that they do have, JT definitely has more valuable game experience. And realistically, I think you also have to take in the fact that I think he's a, a better fit for this system. Yeah, he might be. It's hard for me to say with certainty. I think he could be a better fit. I mean, he, look, he has better physical tools. There's no doubt. He has better physical tools. Well, I, I think just his, 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 passing mentality you know the way he's back there he wants to get rid of the ball throw it around like not an air raid but very similar to the air raid where he's comfortable in that shotgun throwing the ball is and that's what's kind of Lincoln wants to do someone that's going to get back there and just let it rip and I think that's he has that gunslinger mentality which Stetson Bennett also has yeah I was gonna say I think both of them have that similar mentality which I mean that it can work when you have that gunslinger mentality yeah you can hit some big plays you're probably gonna throw more interceptions but I'll say at times you know, obviously you don't want to turn the ball over, but there were a couple, there was more than a few times with Jake Fromm. I was thinking, man, I would be okay if you threw maybe just one or two more interceptions because because that means you're taking more chances. We might hit more big plays. Well, and like, you saw it with, you saw it with Juwan when there's no threat of you throwing the ball really at all. Even if you throw a pick, but you just got to be back there to get, you know, throwing it up, putting pressure on them. Then they can just sit on the run because in the second half, that was the mm-hmm. difference in our entire offense was all of a sudden they had to respect the pass. And it's not even like Stetson was really throwing mm-hmm. downfield bombs or big mm-hmm. completions like that. No, he was just throwing short completions and getting, you know, loosening up coverage. That to me, that's the bottom line. When the coaches are, and this is a tough decision for the coach. I don't think this is necessarily an obvious decision. They're going to have to decide. I think the deciding factor is going to have to be 
who can serve as more of a threat this week in the passing game because we have got to loosen up some of these boxes. We've got to throw something else at them. And Stetson shows signs of that in his two quarters or so of work. So I think he's he could be t- – but that was against Arkansas, fair to be sure. But we've seen him do it against an SEC opponent. And I, I, I absolutely think that J.K. Daniels can do that as well. But I just, I'm not sure Stetson's out of the battle here. It, it's going to be interesting. And look, I'm, I know it sounds crazy right now after what we saw in the first half last week. But I'm not necessarily sure that Mathis is completely out of the picture. If you think about how Kirby Smart has talked about him in the aftermath of that game. And also, I will say, going back and rewatching that game again, as I, as I said in the recap, I, I don't think Mathis was nearly as bad as I thought watching the game live. He was not great. I'm not trying to sit here and say and, and absolve him of all blame. No, he made plenty of mistakes. But a lot of things that watching it live, I kind of pinned on him. I'm not exactly sure it was completely on him. There were a couple of plays, for instance – where Munkin had some big plays dialed up down the field in the passing game, and we could not get the ball if he got flushed out of the pocket and just had to scramble for his life because Owen Condon could not hold his man up and miss blocks and, and got the play ruined. And I think if he, if he hits a couple of those big plays on the field, our perception of Dwayne Mathis might be entirely different. It might be, potentially. Well, and I, I, do I think- agree with that, but I think, it's, I think it's what happened, though, when the pressure came it, that kind of frustrated yeah. me is, his eyes were not staying downfield. He, uh, you know, lack of football IQ when it came to trying to get the first down and things like that. That was the big difference. And of course, sure. like you said in his postgame press conference comments on Duan, I hate to say it like this, but did you really expect him to be that hard on the kid of on his first start that he would no, t- totally not. tear apart his confidence? So, no. I mean, I'm not saying that Kirby was wrong in his comments, but did you really expect him to be hard no, on him and not. you know but say that it was all his fault? After, at, right after the game in that moment, of course he's not going to kill the kid. But then he kind of doubles down on it in the next press conference on Monday. Kind of, and he wasn't really directly asked about it. He kind of just came back and, and volunteered himself. So, look, I'm not saying that means he's going to start or he's, he's going to factor in. But I just, I'm not sure, like, Mathis is completely out of the picture for the rest of the year. I, I, no, I, I don't think he's out of the picture, but I definitely think he's, got, he's fighting an uphill battle at this sure. point. It's not I, where I, he I was at coming into the game. There's, no yeah. com- there's not maybe as much confidence in him. I think that's fair. Yeah. And, and look, I think Mathis might have the highest ceiling of all the quarterbacks long term, but the key is their long term because the issue is he has. There's a lot of players that should be better than they are, but they never reach that ceiling. And he could reach that ceiling. I, I, I just think this year, with the structure of the schedule that we have in front of us and the stretch we have staring us right in the face, his learning curve is just far greater than the other options we have right now. And I just don't think we have the luxury of letting him learn on the job this year. We don't have an Austin P up next where he can learn on the job and make some mistakes and we still win comfortably. We don't have that luxury. So as of right now, here's what I'm going to say. I would predict – I think this is I think it's what you said, Kurt, if I remember correctly. I would predict that Stetson Bennett starts the game. But I do think JT Daniels will get a series or two relatively early kind of, to kind of see how he responds and go from there. I think a lot of it will also depend on how Stetson comes out and played. Do we see the same Stetson Bennett that we saw against Arkansas? Is he being that effective? If not, then that might open the door to JT Daniels getting more of a look. And then, and then and when we go to the second half, we'll see kind of how everybody's faring and we'll go from there. That's my prediction. I don't know. There's no inside information there. That's just kind of how I see this playing out. On some level, I think Stetson, in the coach's eyes, might have earned the start here and give him a chance to see how it goes and then have maybe a quick hook, kind of like we had with Dwan Mathis, if things aren't going as well when you have J.T. Daniels sitting there ready to go as well. Yeah, because you uh, can't afford to get down to Auburn. So that's why I think I said that I think Stetson will start. But like you mentioned, he's going to have a quick hook because you can't put your team down. 
Yeah, okay, it, definitely. And we, I'm going to move on here because we got a bunch more questions to go. We spent about 15 minutes on that first one. But I think that's, a, that's an important question where a lot of people were interested in. So next question, we're going to stick with the quarterbacks here for a minute. Jonathan asks, I'm a little confused why JT Daniels is so coveted over Stetson. I think Stetson is more athletic and can open up run game more than Daniels. Isn't that what we have all been vying for since Jake Fromm left? Daniels may have a bigger arm, but I take accuracy and athleticism over that. So, Kurt, we kind of alluded to this, so we don't spend a ton of time here. But uh, how would you approach that question? The, the idea that uh, well, the- I mean, first off, we mentioned that JT is more athletic than people give him credit for, and at the same time, you also want a guy that's a little bit bigger um, that can. I think sometimes size can be a big thing because you saw. I mean, Stetson had one pass tipped, yeah, um, but. There's, not, there's something to say about someone that's a little bit bigger and, t- and taller and tougher, too. Um, like, as good as Stetson is, he looks like Frodo bag, uh, Frodo out there wearing pads. I mean, t- to be honest, I hate to say it like that, but that's exactly the feeling you get when he's out there. Um, so I think that athletic-wise, I think they're about a push realistically. Stetson may be a little bit better, m- more athletic, but it's a push. But you can't discount how much better JT's arm is. And that sometimes that arm can win you a game when you have to put it into tight windows. Yeah, arm talent and arm strength does matter. I certainly do not think – I mean, think about all those throws that Jake messed up on. When His biggest problem was his lack of arm talent. He couldn't throw the deep thro- deep ball and things like that, which would kill us because guys were wide open or they were there to make yeah, a play. And Jake just didn't Jake have the arm ball. strength. Yeah, I think with, with Fromm and the deep ball, he, he had he didn't ha- he had – good enough arm strength, but it wasn't elite. We know that. And he tried to muscle it sometimes. I mean, you try to muscle it and you tense up like that, the ball, it just, you, you lose some accuracy. And I think there might be some of that with Stetson as well. We didn't see him throw the ball down the field that much on, on Saturday last week, but you might see a, a similar situation. I do think Daniels has more of an arm, obviously, but um, I, I, that's an important deal. There are some throws where that really matters, but there are other factors that, of a quarterback, other qualities of a quarterback that I think are more important than that. I think Stetson has a lot of those. But here's, I mean, the question of why is JT Daniels so covered over Stetson? I mean, it's it's based off perception. Like, I mean, it's the same that. fact that why JT Daniels, if he doesn't decide to come out early, he's the number one player in his class. Yeah, it, it's about it, it starts with recruiting. I mean, look, JT Daniels is you know he was the guy that that was an, a five star All American coming out of high school. Uh, he one of the first. I think he's like one of the first players to start at USC as a freshman and all like that. But he was realistically yeah. like a seventeen-year-old freshman. Yeah, he reclassifies and he wins the job, uh, which is doesn't happen very often at USC as a true freshman. Has an uh, up and down year. Had, did have some big games as a freshman. He threw for three fifty and with seventy-two point five percent completion percentage against a playoff-bound Notre Dame team at the end of that year. Almost pulled off that upset. He we're relatively close to pulling off that upset. So, I mean, the, the, it's the perception. Then you look at Stetson Ben, who's a five-foot-nothing nobody out of South Georgia who had to walk on at Georgia. And I'm not saying that's who he is, but that's how people see him. People, you know, people, they'll talk about how good Stetson was on the scout team back in 2017. And then you think about Kirby thought enough to offer him one of his very precious scholarships last year. And here's the thing. like Whenever you hear people talk about Stetson, it's always kind of like, oh, man, like, you know, people don't really realize how good this guy is. But it's always – it's inevitably followed up with, you know, something like – if only he wasn't so small, right? So it's the perception. And I said this about, about Stetson on the recapture, and I will double down on this. If somebody had been asleep for the last 10 years who knew nothing about any of the quarterbacks at all over the past decade and just woke up Saturday right before the Arkansas game and watched Stetson Bennett play, and then you made them watch a ran, random Jake Fromm game, like take your pick, even one of Jake's better games. And then you ask them, okay, after watching both quarterbacks, pick the better quarterback for me. And they don't they know nothing about their background, their recruiting profile, anything like that. And you just ask them to pick the better quarterback. Kurt, would they automatically, like, like definitively say it was Jake Fromm? No. 
I'm not so sure. Like somebody would, would be like, Hey, you know what? Maybe it's a Stetson Bennett guy. He moves around a little better. Like, I'm not so sure they wouldn't pick Stetson, but if they didn't know what their background was, the recruiting profile, all that. Now, admittedly, this is an incredibly small sample size, and it was against a below average to potentially very bad Arkansas defense. We'll see how that plays out the rest of the year. But my point is that I think Stetson's strengths and Fromm's strengths and their weaknesses to some degree are very similar. Obviously, Stetson has better mobility, but and Fromm had better size. But if we won as many games with Jake Fromm as we did, why can we not win games with Stetson Bennett? If the formula is still pretty much the same, especially defensively, now we don't have the offensive line that we had last year. I will say that. But if we won as many games as we did with Fromm and we're as competitive as we were and with Fromm and his limited ceiling, then even though even if Stetson's ceiling is limited too, why can we still not be as competitive as we were, at least somewhat on the same level as we were with Jay Fromm? I, I just I can't come up with an answer to that. Maybe someone can help me with that. I just I don't see that like there being a major gap between Stetson Bennett and Jay Fromm. I really and I, and I and that's not a knock on Fromm. I think Fromm is pretty good. That's more of praise for Stetson than it was than it's a knock on Fromm. Um, so I, I think if you look at all that, but I, I think when you look at these two. Obviously, as you were saying, Curtis, JT has the pedigree, come out of high school, all of that. He has the physical tools and that advantage over Stetson Bennett. But I think the question becomes, does he have the moxie, the confidence, the decisiveness, the decision-making that Stetson displayed? And, yeah, small sample size, but does he have that? And I think he showed some a lot of that, actually, in his freshman year at USC as a young, young kid. But I, I don't know, like, after such a long layoff, is that automatically to come right back to him? I think a lot of it will. I think he's the same guy in a lot of ways. But – does he have something in the back of his mind come off the injury? Like, oh, I don't know, man. I was like, I, do I trust this? I don't know. But I, I, I understand where Jonathan, I understand where you're coming from here, man. Because I, I, I don't think there's a major gap between Stetson and, and Fromm. I think there's a bigger gap between Daniels and Stetson from a physical standpoint. But I, I don't, I, I do think Stetson is undervalued. I'll say that. And I think that's kind of what Jonathan's getting at here that Stetson is undervalued just because of like the recruiting profile, the size, all that. And I would agree because I think Stetson has a lot of things that good quarterbacks have to do. And I and he showed me that. Yes, yeah, small sample size, but he showed me that in that small sample size. All right, Curtis, before we move on to our next question, I do want to take a minute to remind everyone about my bookie. College football season is in full swing now. We've got the ACC, the Big 12, the SEC all playing already. The Big 10 will be back in about a month or so. The Pac-12 will be a couple weeks after them. So there is plenty of of time and plenty of opportunities for you guys to make some serious money this season by using what you know about college football, all the knowledge you get on this show. And let's be real, you guys know your college football, right? So use that knowledge to your advantage by betting with my bookie today. It's winning season, guys, and winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means watching live sports and betting on live sports at the same time. All the major sports are back right now, so get in on the action. Use promo code OVERTIME and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play designed to add more excitement to your college football season. So bet with the best this season for your chance to win big. Again, use promo code OVERTIME and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, moving on here, Curtis. Uh, Trenton has a, a quick question here. After listening to the game recap, speaking of Dewan Mathis being anxious and scared in the pocket with it being his first snaps, do you think Daniels might show some fear and anxiety in his first snaps since, uh, two, I guess, 2019, the first game of the year when he only played a half? Could he possibly show some of those same fears and anxieties, Kurt? He could, and I wouldn't shock me if he was a little hesitant at first, but I think it's the long term of once it happens, once the, you know, once everything is going, all of a sudden you you revert back to that muscle memory of what you know you've done. And Juwan just has, had never done that, and that's why he didn't have anything to revert back to, which was the biggest difference between the two. Yeah. Like JT's agree. gone out there and done it before. Juwan never has. Yeah, I think JT could have, like, if if he has some fear and anxiety, it's not that the moment will be too big for him. Because I think that's somewhat what happened with Math, especially after he got that, after he took that shot from Bumper Pool when I think he got shook up. I think all of a sudden it became too big for him. I think he was he seemed pretty pretty loose at first, but after that, it was a different guy. And Daniels, I don't think he's going to experience that because he's he's been there, he's done that. But his fear and anxiety will be a little bit different, more related to the, the knee injury, which I guess you could say Dwan's was somewhat related to the brain surgery, which is you know I don't know, kind of a big deal, right? But I think it's possible. I hope not, but it's it's certainly possible. You won't know until you get out there and the live bullets are flying. I don't think even, even he knows right now, honestly, because he hasn't taken a hit. But we'll, we'll find out pretty quick if he gets out there. All right, one last question about the quarterbacks, Curtis. G asked, looking back now, how big was Jamie Newman opting out? Do you think the results would have been different on Saturday if Newman was at quarterback? I mean, there's no question the results would have been different. Probably would have had a lot better offense, especially, you know, that first half. I think there's no question it would have been better. So, Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. I think yeah, I think they're obviously the first half. You wouldn't, had, you wouldn't have had it. Yeah. I think the first half, the first quarter especially, there have been more, more cohesion because you have a guy with a lot more experience than a guy who has not taken a collegiate snap ever in his life, and we have to remember that. So, yeah, I think that it would. I think the the optics would have been better. We would not have seemed as incompetent in the majority of that first half. But ultimately, like, would the end result have been all that dramatically different? Like, I'm not sure it would have been dramatically different. Like, we might have added another touchdown here or there, and that would have changed the perception because we wouldn't have had that. Because in the second half, we were, we were pretty good offensively. It's the first half, not so much. So if, if the first half wasn't quite as ugly, which I don't think it would have been with Newman, then I think the national perception and also some of the local anxiety would have been a little bit different right now. But I'm not sure the ultimate result would have been dramatically different because, guys – I'll just say right now, we have some offensive line issues. We've got some offensive line issues, and that's going to be a problem. We've got to fix those. So even with a better quarter, I say a more experienced quarterback, the offensive line issues were going to be a problem regardless. So I don't know. So, yeah, I think it'll be a little bit different, as you said, Kurt, but I don't think it would been like overly dramatically different. All right, let's move beyond the quarterback conversation. Kyle has a, a, a kind of a big, big picture question here, Curtis. He asked, with what we saw on Saturday, how much are you adjusting your expectations for this season? What do you think, Kurt? Um, you know, I mentioned in the uh, pr- post game show that I could see a seven and three, eight and two, but I still want to go out there and see uh, JT in there before I completely change all my expectations. Yeah, look, I, I I think that's a very reasonable way to look at this. I because like what we saw Saturday was not a complete picture of what our offense can be. We didn't have no, and you saw just with a competent passer back there how much better our offense looks. So I think sure. we have to take that into account also. Yeah, I think it was an incomplete picture of what this offense is going to be because we didn't have one of the guys that could potentially end up being our, our, our full-time quarterback down the road. We'll see if that happens, but I think there's a good chance that that's going to happen. But I, I would be lying if I said like I wasn't at least like somewhat more concerned right now than when I woke up Saturday morning before the game. 
I did predict nine and one before the season. I think eight and two, as you were saying, Kurt, might be like, I think that's more realistic right now, but I'm, I'm certainly not ready to shut the door on nine and one. I'm not saying it's a done deal. I like with you, Kurt, I'm kind of, I'm in wait and see mode right now with what the offense might look like with, with, with JT Daniels or with Stetson Bennett in a full game. Well, not, look, not only with JT Daniels, but just more cohesion with the offensive unit. I mean, this is still Todd Munkin's first time calling plays for us. So it's not like he knows everything he's got right now either. We're trying to figure out our identity offensively. And that's a huge thing that we need to do. Like we need to figure that out like now would be great, but we definitely need to. Uh, and I, look, I'm trying to be objective with what I saw Saturday, but I'm also trying to not allow myself to overreact to one game at the same time. You know, like, like, like we said, like one most game, of the fan base right now. Right. Well, it's, it makes sense. Like, like here's the thing. Like we all said, like you and I said, most people under like thought coming into, into this first game, we all said they're going to be growing pains, and, and you got to realize that. But then when we see the growing pains, we freak out. It's kind of, and I think it's because like the abstract becomes real. Like what could have been true becomes true all of a sudden in your mind. And, and I would I would equate it to this. It's like going in for brain for a brain scan because like you've been having some headaches and you think something might be wrong, and you're nervous because like you know it could be something bad, but it also might not be as bad as you think. You might just be a hypochondriac. It might be nothing, right? It's probably nothing, and you're probably just overreacting a little bit to a headache. But then you get the test results back, and oh, it's the worst case scenario. And now you're freaking out because what was once in the abstract is now real. And I think that's kind of what fans experience. Like we thought the offense might have some growing pains, but you know it's Georgia, we'll be fine. It's Arkansas, right? But then we saw that, and you're just kind of like, oh, now it's real, and people start to freak out. Um, but look, I I think our offense was about like if if you look at what we were at the second half of last year, I think our offense on Saturday was about what it was the second half of last year. And guys. As bad as it was the second half of last year, let's remind everyone, we still won the SEC East. No, we were not going to win a national championship last year, but we still got to Atlanta. And the thing is, this year, I fully expect the offense to continue to get better, especially once we get some more clarity at the quarterback position. And as you mentioned, Curtis, as Todd Munkin figures out kind of what our identity is going to be. And the thing is, like last year, there was no hope for the offense. Like we were who we were. We had who we had. We were not. Yeah, there was no changing. We had all the personnel, like everything, like everything's still out in front of us at this point. And then that's why I kind of in that wait and see mode, because I want to see, you know, the way everything starts to gel, get these young guys some experience and things like that. I mean, Matt Landers actually made a couple catches out there. So, you know, they are improving, but it's not like last year. Like you said, we are pretty much at our at, at our ceiling at that point last year like after Cajun went down like we were who, we were who we were and we weren't going to get any better and yeah that, we had you know our coaches were our offensive coach was who he was um was who he know, was the talent he was, yep exactly yeah so it just was who it was and like so last year yeah, there was no hope we we just were who we were but this year I think there's going to be growth it's just going to I think what's going to come down to is how fast does that growth happen and how fast can we find the answer at quarterback? And I do think it still comes down to beating Florida. Even if we lose to Bama and let's say we lose another game, we lose to Auburn or we lose to Tennessee or whoever we lose to it. As long as we beat Florida, I think there's a chance that they're going to lose somewhere else along the way. And we would have the tiebreaker over them if we both finish eight and two. So the bottom line is we just need to be humming by November the 7th. when We play Florida in Jacksonville. If we can win that game and just hold and just stay alive until then, I feel good about our chance to get to Atlanta. And by the end of the year, I think this offense could be humming, and I think we might be a team that could be a real contender. Defensively, we're there. Offensively, we got to get there. We're not there yet, but I'm not giving up hope yet. I- I'm not. I'm not. All right, let's move on here, Kurt. we got a couple more questions. we got a question from Josh, our man Josh. Always love you, Josh. Josh asks, can you break down what you saw from Kiaris Jackson? He looked pretty good to me, and I thought he had a good and productive game. Kurt, what did you see from Kiaris? saw some explosion out of him you know I mentioned kind of the last couple years all that you really heard about him was just that he was an athlete 
but this was the first time he actually looked like a decently polished receiver, you know, made, held onto the ball and he took that big hit. And that's what you want to see out of someone growing, trying to be, you know, become not even a safety valve, but just someone that your quarterback trusts to throw the ball to in big time situations. So he seemed like he's developing as a pass catcher and route runner. And I think that's the biggest thing that I saw out of him. Sure. It was great to see him get some special teams work and perform really well in that punt return role. I think what really is helping him is that he's not, he's being asked to play a position that fits his skill set more than what he was last year. He didn't get to play in the slot a ton last year. He was playing more outside with some of the injuries we had to deal with. He was forced to play out there. He played more in the slot on Saturday. And I think that's where he really fits best. And he made some big plays, made some nice catches. Was He seemed like he understood what the defenses were trying to do. He understood where to, where to sit down against zone. He understood when to keep running against man. All of those things, the side adjustments, all that. He seemed more comfortable. He seemed more confident. And he seemed to have a little bit of that swag. And I think Kirsch Jackson is going to be a big-time playmaker for us the rest of this year. I'm really excited to see what he's going to be able to do. All right, next up, we have a question from Trey. Thank you, Trey. Trey asks, winning by 27 versus giving up over 600 yards of offense. So, obviously, he's referring to Georgia versus Florida, who gave, gave up over 600 yards of offense to Ole Miss. So, Curtis, which team's hot take will be proven correct? So, what, basically, which team should people be more concerned about, Georgia or Florida right now? I mean, the biggest thing that st- stuck out to me as as great as Florida's offense played, I think I think or I think that Georgia still had the highest highest point spread by their win, and I think that's the one thing that sticks out to me as bad. And kind of what you and I have been talking about our whole time, this whole offseason, is as bad as Georgia's offense was, we still had that defense to lean back on, and it gave us time to not be in panic mode the full time. Because say we were had Florida's defense at this point and we were giving up some points while our offense was trying to get his footing, we would have been in true, true, you know, we weren't, didn't go that far because our defense was that good. And I think that's the biggest thing with Florida is if at any time their offense isn't clicking, they could potentially be in trouble because their defense is not the team that's going to go out there and hold a team to only seven or seven points offensively. Yeah, great point. So here's what I would say. I mean, obviously we woke up and we saw, I guess, Sunday morning, sometime Sunday, that Florida had jumped us up to number three in, in the polls. Okay, whatever. Polls don't matter right now. I'm not going to freak out about that. But Yeah, I was actually happy about that, to be oh, honest, because I, 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 that's what should happen after us playing like that to kind of give us a chip on our shoulder too. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally good with that right now. Polls don't matter at all. I'm fine with it. But it, it, like, why did Florida jump us? Well, it's all about confirmation bias and, and these pollsters seeing what they want to see. So many members of the media, you guys know, they were on Florida early, all offseason. So they are much more willing right now to overlook any deficiencies that Florida might have and are much more likely on the flip side to play ours up. So, yeah, Florida over 600 yards. You're not hearing people talk about that. You're hearing all the talk about, what well, Georgia's offense is a disaster. Oh, my God, why can't Georgia ever fix their offense? Oh, my God, now Georgia, uh, they're not really a contender. Like, no, Florida's definitely going to win the East. Okay, yeah, they might. Who knows? They might. Well, let's but- be honest. A lot of these ESPN people don't like being wrong because they don't like being called – or any sports well, no one likes to be wrong. Does, yeah, they don't like to be wrong because, I mean, most of them are – like to be or like to be right all the time and are know-it-alls and let's be honest that that's the mentality they put well, they're on. the experts and, they're supposed to know more yeah, than they're you the know. experts so they don't want to be wrong and you know they like to tell everyone else what to think and so that's sure. the biggest thing is they're as long as florida's winning they're going to keep hyping up florida because it fits their narrative and makes them seem right yep doesn't matter yeah calatras fantastic played really well fantastic offense they look great but that Florida defense, well, yeah, let's just not talk about that. Let's just focus on the offense, right? Jordan yeah, defense, let's talk about how Kyle Trask didn't have to really throw the ball, but just get the ball to Kyle Pitts and let him do all the other work. Sure, sure. So, I mean, look, one game, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, here, here's what I would say also. is I mean, like, so Georgia had one bad unit offensively, and Florida had one bad unit defensively. 
But I would say which unit is more fixable right now? Because Florida had all hands on deck on Saturday defensively. They weren't missing anybody, and they still gave up over 600 yards. We might have started our third best option at quarterback, and we still won by 27 when it was all said and done. So like, like which you know, and a first time coordinator, like they, they all, all their guys they have, they're similar to our offense last year. Like they have who they have. This is the same coach they've had since Dan Mullen got there defensively. So I mean, there shouldn't be shouldn't be a problem with cohesion or anything like that. Yeah, same coordinator. You know the great, the great, the great talented Brandon Brenton Cox was out there playing for him. So I mean, yeah, I mean they should have been amazing because he's a five star. You know they took him from Georgia, so we're we don't have him. So our defense shouldn't be good while theirs should be really good. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. And look, the Florida offense is going to be good, but like Ole Miss was 120th in pass defense last year. I know it's not the same exact team, but you can't imagine they make a dramatic jump this year. And I would say that Florida defense, other than Kyrie Elam, who I think is really, really good, who scares you on that Florida defense? I would say no one scares me other than maybe Kyrie Elam. Well, and let's be honest, last year Florida had a really good offense. There was no problem with their offense last yep. year, yet we held them in check well enough because our defense was so good that our terrible offense was able to put up enough points to beat them. I agree. I agree. Well, now, and there's plenty of time to see how that plays out, but it is – Trey makes a good point, pointing out the, kind of just the comical nature of the fact that everyone's just glossing over Florida's major defensive deficiency in week one while really playing up our pretty clear offensive deficiency, at least in the first half last week. But, you know, what do you expect? The media doesn't want to be wrong. All right, uh, moving on here, we got a question from Derek. He asks, what is your biggest concern after game one? Kurt, what was your biggest concern? Um, the right tackle position, we've definitely got to get that short up. You know, you mentioned how, you know, there's some plays there, but Condon uh, didn't hold the pocket long enough for anything to happen. And so I think that's the biggest concern right now because I think quarterback, of course, will be everyone's answer. But I think that offensive line has to get short up before we can really become who we want to be, especially even in the run game. I mean, that has to be shored up. I totally agree. You're stealing my answer here, but – you're totally right here. You've nailed it. My biggest concern coming out of week one, I know a lot of people were looking at the quarterback position, but once Stetson Bennett came in and kind of stabilized the offense, and then on top of that, we get the news that JT Daniels is now officially cleared for contact and could potentially play as early as this week. I feel a little bit better about the quarterback position. What I'm still pretty significantly concerned about right now is that offensive line, as you mentioned, particularly right tackle, but I'm also worried about the center position as well. You're right. I mentioned earlier there were some plays that Todd Munkin dialed up in that first quarter that really could have changed the perception of what Dewan Mathis can do moving forward. But those plays were not actually made because we could not protect the quarterback, particularly off of the edge there with the right tackle. Owen Condon gave up a couple of, they weren't sacks, but pressures that forced Mathis out of the pocket and we were not able to hit those plays that were there, guys. They were wide open. They were going to be big plays down the field. But it wasn't just Condon. I know right now he's kind of a, a punching bag of sorts, and I think justifiably so in a lot of ways. Although we do need to keep in context here, this was his first game action, his first real game action like it was for Dewan Mathis himself. But Condon, I mean, he, he, he struggled in pass protection. He was, he was, I thought he was fine. Even watching the game live, I thought he was fine in his run blocking, but it was the pass protection, specifically those two plays where we had some big plays dialed up that we just couldn't get off because he gave up a quarterback pressure. Those are the kind of things that he's got to get better at. But he really, I don't think he was necessarily our worst offensive lineman. I mean, if you look at, his, at the overall grades, 
Let me kind of just go through some of these grades, the run block grades, the pass block grades, and their overall grade. So let's start with Conan at right tackle. His pass block grade, that's where he was really, really low, was a 62.6. Run blocking kind of matched what I saw in the game. I thought he was much better there. He was 74.3 in his run blocking grade according to Pro Football Focus. Investing their premium stats and premium grades option was one of the best investments that we've made on this show since we started years and years ago. But yeah, Condon, 62.6 pass blocking grade, 74.3 run blocking grade, but 72.2 overall. Not great, but not necessarily terrible. If you look at Big Ben right next to him on the on the right side there at right guard, 61.7 pass blocking grade, which is kind of par for the course for Ben. He just doesn't bend as well, doesn't move quite as well as some of those other guys. But 80.5 run block grade with a with an average of 74.8 overall offensive grade. And then you go to center, and this is where I think this was an issue. Trey Hill has some athleticism. He did pretty well when it came to pass block. He actually one of the top graded pass blockers. I think actually I take that back. I think he was the top graded pass blocker on the offensive line in game one. He graded out with a 77.5 pass blocking grade, but his run blocking grade was below 60, 59.6. And his overall offensive grade was 60.9. Jamari Salyer was a guy that I had some pretty high expectations for coming in the season. That's one small sample size. It's one game. I get it. Even in game, I did not love what I saw from him. And the pro football focus grades kind of matched with that. 61.1 pass block grade, 68 run block grade, a little bit better there. 67.4 overall offensive grade. Warren McClendon, who came in in relief of Owen Condon in the late parts of the first half and also in the second half as well. Ended up with a 76.2 passing grade, 76.5 rushing grade. So he was as steady as anyone on the offensive line on Saturday. And he didn't even start. And his overall offensive grade was 77.9. He actually had the highest overall grade offensively of any of the linemen that got extensive playing time in that first matchup against Arkansas. Warren Erickson came in at times at center. It was allowed Trey Hill to move to guard, and he performed pretty well, but it was a similar story to what we saw from Trey Hill. 70.4 passing pass blocking grade, which is a little bit less than what Trey Hill had, and his run blocking grade was right around Trey Hill's number as well, 58.9, an overall offensive grade of 61.8. Then at left guard, Justin Schaefer actually did much better than I anticipated he would do coming into the game as a pass blocker, because that's kind of been an issue for him at times throughout his career to this point in his, in his small amount of playing time. But he did a much better job in pass protection than he did in the run game, which is actually where I've always felt that his strength as an offensive lineman was, was as a run blocker, just a big physical guy. But he ended up with a 76.6 overall pass blocking grade, which was right there as the second highest on the offensive line. But his run grade was all the way down at 60.8, which brought him out to a 61.4 overall offensive grade. So when you look at those numbers and kind of take them in totality, you've got Trey Hill, you've got Warren McClendon, and Warren Erickson as the three who graded out as the best pass protectors in game one. But on the flip side, Hill and Erickson were the only guys that saw extensive playing time along the offensive line that graded out below 60 in run blocking. And you got Big Ben who was the best run blocker, but the worst pass blocker, according to Pro Football Focus's grades, which has kind of been the story of Ben's career. So what's the answer here? That's my question. What is the answer here? I don't know if there is a simple answer of, oh, hey, let's just slide this guy in right there, because if week one is any indication, these guys have strengths and they have weaknesses, and it's tough to mix and match, because one guy's strengths and weaknesses are the absolute inverse of another guy's. If you look at a guy like 
Trey Hill with a 77.5 pass blocking grade, but only a 59.6 run blocking grade. And then you look at Big Ben with a 61.7 pass block grade and an 80.5 run blocking grade. So it's just a matter of, of preference, I guess, for the coaches and finding somebody, a couple of guys that can actually find some balance to their game. It, I will say it's tough to take Ben out of the lineup when he's one of the few guys providing movement up front in the run game, especially when we're having a really tough time for large portions of that game, getting movement up front and finding some room in the running game. I do think that he and McClendon could be a good combination in the run game, and having Hill and McClendon next to Ben can maybe take some of the pressure of, off of him in pass protection. Initially, you know, watching the game, I thought that Erickson at center and Hill at right guard might be a good combination. But then you have to ask yourself, how does that impact the run game? If you got both those guys bringing out below 60 in their run blocking. I know it's only one game, but that's what we have to work off of right now. What I do know is I don't like Trey Hill at center because of the snapping issues. Like we've talked about, those you know, snapping issues, like against a better team, that can absolutely cost you a game. That can, if what we saw happen in the Arkansas game happened against Auburn, if it happened against Tennessee or Alabama or Florida, it's absolutely one of those things at the wrong moment that can cost you a game. But do you put him at right guard or left guard or, or does he sit? You know, these are tough questions. I don't know if I have an answer for right now. I need to see more. I need a larger sample size. I need more data points. But going off week one, I feel good about Warren Clinton at right tackle. He's the guy that I thought performed best overall out of all those guys, and his grade really, really proved that. But, you know, you got some guys that pass protect well. You've got some guys that excel in the run blocking game. So how do you mix and match? We do have a question about that here in just a few minutes. So I'm going to hold off. I'll give you that answer. We will talk about that in just a minute. All right. So let's move on because we got. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Just a little bit of time left. We've got a couple more questions I want to try to get to. Rapid fire here, Curtis. So the question is from Christopher, uh, sticking with the offensive line. Why do you think we struggled so much with run blocking? Could it be that the offensive line just needs more time to gel? Um, I mean, yeah, that could be a problem. But I think that people like Owen Condon are just physically are physically limited. I mean, you know, when you have Isaiah Wilson out there who was still growing as a player but was physically dominating compared to other people, you know, your problems don't look as bad. Yeah, I think obviously with a, a new unit and some guys moving around different spots, we, this, we need to find who the five are going to be and let them gel. Yes. Well, not only true. you have you have new players, you have a new coach. So, I mean, there's going to be a, some gelling time, but it, it shouldn't have been as bad as it was sometimes, especially it's not like Florida had all – I mean, Arkansas had all these big pass rushers that scare you. Agreed, absolutely. And we're going to face some of those guys in the next couple of weeks here. I, I, yeah, they do need time to gel. But I think more important right now, we just got to figure out who the right combo is. Who are the right guys to have in there? Because I'm not sure there's an obvious answer. And we got to figure that out. And I think we really need some of these younger guys who I think do have more physical ability. I think we, we, they need to get ready. Guys like Broderick Jones, Tate Ratledge, Cedric Van Prant, even Clay Well. Like some of these guys, if the guys that are in there right now are going to continue to play like they did on Saturday, I know it's the first game. Well, and, and here's outside of Warren McClendon, too, no one player really made me feel like they could come in and take that job because Xavier trusts someone who we'd all talked about potentially 
become the guy looked to struggle out there, especially with the second unit. Yeah, he did. So I think the young guys are probably the most talented, but are they ready yet? I don't know. I don't know. And it might, it might be a minute. So we got to figure out something here, but whoever's in the offensive line has just got to play better because that is a problem right now. I know everyone was talking about quarterback. The offensive line was, in my opinion, the biggest problem that we saw out there in week one. Uh, and, and Cliff has a question here. Well, thank you, Cliff. It's about Trey Hill. We already mentioned him a little bit, but Trey Hill, he says, Trey Hill is not the answer at center. It's, it's time to admit that I was all over this one before the season. You were, Cliff. You were all over this before the season. Curtis, who would you, who should be the starting five against Auburn on the offensive line this weekend? I think it should be Jamari Salyer, Trey Hill at left guard, Warren Erickson at center, right guard Ben Cleveland, and right tackle Warren McClendon. That's our. I've, I've since Trey Hill's taken over at center. I've always said I thought he was below average there because he never consistently, especially as good as Lamont Gilliard was for us. Trey yeah. Hill has been the exact opposite of. He hasn't brought any stability or anything to that position. Well, he, he cannot. The snap issues have become far too consistent. It's almost like his lower half that. I can understand that. I can understand that if it's your first year, but he's on year two and a half almost there so yeah it's it's become too at consistent some point, it it's just, yeah at some, at some point you've got to get it figured out i mean i mean yeah and, and let's be honest it's not like snapping is the hardest thing to do either no i mean i do think a part of it is i, I think it was uh, nick toomey on twitter who pointed this out and i agree with him i think he has this massive tree trunk lower half and it's almost like it's too big like there's not enough space between his thighs to consistently get the ball between his legs like I think that might be an issue, honestly. It's just his just his physical makeup, and I, I I don't know if it's anything he's doing. It's just the fact that maybe his body isn't built for it. To be honest with you, I don't know. I don't, it might sound kind of weird, but I think about it. I think it, it, there's some there might be something to that. All right, we're almost running out of time here. We've got time for one more question to throw in here. This is from Bolt Dog. Thank you for the question. He asked, "I love James Cook, but he looked lost out there. He was not attacking the defense. He didn't look confident. In fact, he looked scared to catch the ball a few times." Something isn't right here. He has way too much talent to not be scorching defenses. Curtis, what's your take on James Cook? Because he, we hear, we always hear a lot about him, but he never seems to quite break out. At least he hasn't yet. Um, let's be honest. He didn't get many carries in the second half outside the, after that fumble, and that's the thing. Like none of our running backs looked competent that first half. Let's be honest; they all looked below average. There was no room. There was no room. No room to run. So, I mean, that's the biggest thing I think we got to talk about is, you know, that fumble really killed any momentum he could have gotten. Yeah, and there were also a couple of plays that we had dialed up for him. There were a couple of screens. There was one, I think it was when Mathis was still in the game. It was kind of a little, a little angle, a middle screen where he was kind of angling out like he was going to run to the flat, and he kind of angles back into the, the middle of the field. We had some linemen that were releasing downfield to block for him. There were there was room there, man. There was a lot of space for him to operate, but the ball hits the back of, a, of one of the linemen, and it couldn't get to Oh, cook. yeah, I remember that. Yeah, they been Cleveland. And, and that's nothing to do like, – I don't really think that's Cook's fault. Now, maybe he was in the wrong position. He was maybe too – he didn't have enough depth from him in the, in the lineman. Maybe that's possible. But, you know, his ball just didn't get to him. And there were a couple of plays where he was running where it looked like he was – you know, he went down quick. He didn't want to take a hit. You know, there was one play he had some room. He hit about a seven or eight-yard gain. The safety comes flying up, and he just he just falls on the ground before the safety could get there. And maybe his coach to protect his body. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I, I can see I can see why someone might say there might be some concerns about maybe something being wrong with him. Why can't he figure things out? I think we just, we've got to figure out a way to get this guy the ball more consistently because I do think once he gets in space, he can be a playmaker. we just got to find a way to incorporate it. And teams are doing it all across college football. They're doing it across the NFL. I think James Cook could be that kind of guy. If you watch Monday Night Football, you saw Clyde Edwards-Alaire do it again. Like he did all last year. I'm not saying Cook can be that good, but he, he, I think he's that type of running back, that skill set, and we just got to find a way 
to get him the ball because I think he can be a major playmaker for us if we can just uh, figure that out. And we just haven't quite figured it out yet, but hopefully Todd Munkin will have the answer to that here before too long. But all right, guys, that does it for us here today on the Glory UGA podcast. We really appreciate you listening to the show and supporting us like you guys do each and every week throughout the year. If you are a new listener to the show, thanks for jumping on board. We hope you guys are enjoying everything. If you like what you hear, let us know with a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's a huge help to the show as we continue to try to grow and bring you guys the best content that we possibly can. Charlie and I will be back tomorrow for the Auburn Game Preview Show, and then we'll wrap things up at the end of the week with our Picks of the Week episode. So that should be a lot of fun. Thanks again for listening, guys. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, Go dogs!